0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 19th of January, 2024, and it's Bible with the Barber again today. (laughs) So um, we'll start with a prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, and also ask the angels to enlighten us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus dominus, Deus Sabaot, pleni son et terra. Gloria Tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, in his high priestly prayer, in the Last Supper, in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus prayed that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. This week, Yesterday began the week of what we call Christian unity, and we're praying for the unity of all Christians. So we want to talk a little bit about, from the biblical perspective, what in what does this unity consist? Can we just say, well, you know, we have our differences, but we all believe in Jesus, so it's all good, and and um, I'm okay, you're okay, or or should we be striving for something greater, something more supernatural? a unity that is rooted in something beyond this world. So we want to look at the biblical passages, the readings. Um, This week will culminate on the 25th of January, which is the Feast of the Conversion of Saul, Paul, the Apostle. By the way, Jesus did not change his name. He was Saul, the Rabbi Saul, who had a Roman name because he was a Roman citizen, and his Roman name was Paul. So he had two names already. But um, it, it, it culminates on the feast of his conversion. So the week of Christian unity goes from the 18th of January to the 25th of January. So we b- are supposed to be praying intensely for the reunification of all Christianity. It is a great scandal. It drives many people away from the gospel that there are divisions among Christians. So what do we do? How do we work on this? What do we, um, you know, how do we proceed? So I want to look, some of the readings, if you go, um, if you if you have a missal, um, there is a mass, a votive mass for the unity of Christians. And it has readings um, that you can, you know, read. And it has quite a few. The first reading options, there's a couple Old Testament readings. And then, um, Several readings from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John part I want to focus on today is Jesus' high priestly prayer at the Last Supper, and that's John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words which you gave me and they have received them and know in truth, that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and none of them was lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be consecrated in the truth. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I perfectly one, I in them, excuse me, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to behold my glory, which you have given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The gospel of the Lord. So Jesus prays here. This is the whole of chapter 17. I read to you. That's not all read in one reading that the, the church gives, um, three three gospel readings from the chapter of 17 for the mass for the unity of all Christians. So Jesus is asking, first of all, he glorifies his father and he, he mentions that he had glory with the father before the world was founded. So yes, he is the eternal son of God, unbegotten, eternal with the father from all eternity he was with him. And what is eternal life? Well, he tells us that eternal life is that we know the true God the only true God, the one God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So the Trinity, Jesus came to reveal that God is a father and that he is his son and that the father and the son have in common the Holy Spirit in terms of in common. The mutual love between the father and the son is a person. And that's what I mean in common. Their mutual love is a real person, So there are three persons. There's only one God. This is the true God. This is the only God. One God, three divine persons. Is this a great mystery? Yeah, it's the greatest mystery of our Christian faith. And Jesus goes on to say that their unity among his followers will be (laughs) evidence to the world of God. We're supposed to reflect God. He manif- Jesus manifested the Father's name to the men whom the Father gave him out of the world. And this he also makes it clear, we're not of this world. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're not supposed to get along with the world. We're not supposed to be of the world. We're not supposed to try and deliberately be mean and nasty. And No, we're supposed to live fully for Christ. And if we do that, if we are a true reflection of the life, the inner life of the Trinity, and that's what we're called to as Christians, that's what Jesus is saying, that they may be one in us, that even as you, Father, and I are one, they may be one in us, right? You know, I hear that music. So we're going to have to go through this and understand this unity that Christ has called us to. And then we'll look at, if we can uh, today, we'll look at the letter to the Ephesians to to explain how do we practically work this out. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Please let your family and friends know we have a Bible study, and we ask you all to join us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Don't go away; we'll be back with more.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight. 526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Thank you for joining us on this Friday, January the 19th, 2024 Bible with the Barbers. Well, it's Bible with the Barber today. Uh, I also want to make sure that I thank all of our listeners and the radio stations that pick us up. I know stations of the cross picks up our signal and they have uh, affiliate stations who also pick up our signal. And then there are some other small you know, stations throughout the country that do pick up our signal and thank you and thank you to the listeners remember to support your local stations but also support us especially with your prayers and your sacrifices and pray for us that we can continue to do this work we want again christian unity we want all christians to be one and again what what was it that jesus says here he says that um that that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, this disunity among Christians is a scandal, and it drives people away from Christ. So we need to try and reconcile the differences and come back to unity. We're not going to do that by beating people up and uh, telling them they're no good or belittling them, by the way, and Um, making fun of them you know we really don't know how much of the truth people know and we also don't know what traumas and um, emotional woundedness they might have that get in the way of their being able to see the truth a good friend of ours a priest father William Wagner he used to be in charge of the uh, postulants and novices in his in his community and he was directing them and he said you know it was interesting, we'd, we'd play volleyball together and I was supposed to be the referee, right? And so he said, you know, the, the game would be tight and then there'd be a shot that was really close to the line or and everybody, you know, each team saw it, saw that ball land in their favor, each side, okay? It landed in the favor of, you know, and, 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 and it was just, and, and, and Father pointed something out. He said they weren't lying. They're just, that was an emotional perception. And he said, it was wonderful to see how by the end of their first year of formation, they had grown in emotional maturity to the point where when that same shot came, many of them on both sides would say, the referee has to call that, that's too close for us to call. Because I want to call that in favor of my side. And that's how it is in life. Oftentimes people have left the Catholic Church, and Bishop Sheen used to say people who have left the Catholic Church or Protestants who admit that the Catholic Church is the true church but won't enter, if you push them to the wall, they have a moral difference with Christ. And that's, that, that's often very true. They have a moral difference. And sometimes that moral difference developed in, in a, an emotional state so that what's happened is on the basis of their emotional response to something, they've made a choice of the will. And their will has aligned itself with their emotions. This is just a human condition that can happen. And what has to happen is every human being has to grow emotionally in maturity so that the will can begin to align itself with the intellect. And the intellect, the intellect is supposed to inform the will of the true good. The emotions are not directly subject to the intellect. So the intellect can perceive that God is good and that his church is the true church, but if there's an emotional block there and the will has aligned itself with its emotions, that person is incapable of following their intellect. So we have to pray that people will receive the emotional healing that they need, that all of us can emotionally mature so that we're not treating each other, first of all, that we're not acting like, emotionally, like babies or teenagers or, you know, unmature people but that we are faithful to the Lord and follow his truth. And it's interesting, in this this prayer here, Jesus also prays for something else. He prays that God will consecrate his followers in the truth. Remember at at his trial, when Jesus is brought before Pilate, and Pilate says, so you're a king. And he said, do you say this on your own, or have others been telling you about me? look, I'm no Jew. It's your own people have turned you over. What have you done? And he said, the reason why I came into this world, the reason why I was born was to testify to the truth. Anyone committed to the truth hears my voice. Without this consecration in the truth, without this commitment to the truth, we can't hear the Lord's voice. We need to hear his voice, but we have to be committed to the truth. There is no dichotomy. There's no animosity between truth and unity. Not real truth, not real unity. Real unity is rooted in love, and it's rooted here in the Trinity, in our life in union with the Trinity. We're supposed to be living a life of union with the Trinity so that we become a reflection of the Trinity, St. Clair of Assisi said, we become what we love. Bishop Sheen warned, be careful what you love because you become what you love. And then St. Clair went on to say, and who we love shapes what we become. So if we are to become true children of God, we need to be, you know, behave like God as his very dear children, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? Behave like God as his very dear children. So our unity is not just a unity that is um, invisible. The unity that Christ prays for of the believers is, is it is spiritual. Yes, it's a spiritual unity because we're all trying to be in union with God. And therefore, by the closer we draw to God, the closer we are to each other but also a visible and organizational unity. Jesus really founded a church. He really set up the Pope and the bishops as those who would pass on the sacred deposit of faith so that even the world can see it clearly. And the reference here is Ephesians 4, 4 through 13. In Ephesians 4, it says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. But the grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So different gifts, but the same spirit. But unity in Christ, and that unity, there's only one body and one spirit. There's only one hope that belongs to our call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And so we want to be in union with God, and we do that because God gives us the grace to do so. Jesus says in His prayer that God chose these, the Father The father chose these men out of the world and gave them to the son to be the men on whom he would found his church. So we have to work for that unity. And that unity should be a visible unity. A unity wherein um, we are no longer strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What makes us united? We're members of the household of God. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built into it for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We're supposed to be a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We have access to the father through Christ. So through Christ, we have access to the father and we are supposed to live a life that reflects that. We're actually family members, family members adopted into the family of God. And this is where the sacraments come in. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. Through baptism, we are grafted onto Christ. We become one with him. And so we pray that everyone can receive the gift of baptism. Now, the church has always taught that there are three ways of receiving that that gift. We have what's called baptism of (laughs) the, the water baptism in the sacrament, we have the baptism of blood where if someone were to shed their blood for Christ, even if they weren't baptized in water, they would, they would be witnessing to Christ and would receive eternal life. And baptism of desire. Those who are searching for Christ and long to be baptized, they long to be one with him. And, and the example that was in the early church, there was a, an old man in the catechumenate, and he died before he was baptized. But been, he was serious, he was serious, he was, living the, he was trying to live the faith to the best of his abilities, keep the commandments, know more and more about the Lord every day. But he died before Easter, and his bishop was worried about what would happen. So he wrote to Rome, he wrote to the Pope at the time. And the Pope wrote back, be assured of the old man's salvation. Because by the very fact that he had entered into the catechumenate and firmly set his foot upon the path of walking with Christ, He was received by Christ because his desire was for Christ. Now that, you know, if through no fault of our own, (laughs) if through no fault of our own, we don't receive the sacrament of baptism, then there are these other possibilities, baptism of blood and baptism of desire. But this is why all Christians should offer baptism to all people they meet. But not, you know, it's not like, oh my gosh, you're going to hell, you know, you did no. Do you know the Lord? Mother Teresa You know, she picked up the dying out of the streets of India, Calcutta, and she would bring them in, and she would love them. And Bishop Sheen had heard about her, and he wanted to know, because Bishop Sheen was very interested in spreading the gospel and evangelizing all people and bringing them to Christ. And so he met her in an airport one day, and he said, Mother, Mother Teresa... I've been wanting to meet you. Mother, you've evangelized 15,000 people. Well, what did you say to them? What is the message? How, did you, how were you able to bring them to Christ? And she said, I didn't say anything, but I loved them. The unity that Christ prays for, that it be a visible sign that we are one in our love. See those Christians, how they loved one another. Wasn't that what the pagans said in the early, about the early Christians? See those Christians, how they love one another. I loved them. And after I had loved them, taken care of their, brought them in, bathed them, cleaned them, fed them, showed them love, I would ask them, do you know Jesus? And they would say to me, oh, mother, is he anything like you? (laughs) She would say, no, absolutely not. But I do try to be like him. I do try. And they're like, oh, mother we want to know jesus so this is it christ prayed for this unity among us but this unity is not just a an ephemeral well you know okay well we all say this that the other thing it's there's a visible unity but it's rooted and grounded in christ in love and in his word i hear the music again i want to thank you all for joining us please ask your friends and family to join us um, make sure you share the app with others. We have the app. And don't go away, because we're going to be back with you on Bible.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barber. Terry's not studio today with me But, um... We're talking about Christian unity and unity among Christians for this week of Christian unity, which we're supposed to be praying fervently for the reunion of all Christians. And um, we, I'm looking at the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. I'm also looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in particular, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and chapter 4, verse 30 and to to 30 through 5 2 so chapter 4 verse 30 the last chapter the last and then through the first beginning of chapter 5 so we're we're talking about this unity and where does this unity stem from and we talked about um that it's visible it is a visible unity you see jesus asked the father to sanctify them by consecrating them in the truth right to set aside for a holy purpose. And so the task of the apostles was to speak the word which the Lord had given them both orally, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and 1 Peter 1.25, and in writing, 2 Thessalonians 2.15 and 1 Timothy 3.14 and 15. And um, so the disciples are set apart for a priestly service of the gospel And Jesus sends them on mission. Just as the Father had sent the Son, now the apostles are being sent. So the mission of Christ becomes the mission of the church once he returns to the Father. All though cooperation in this work is incumbent upon all the baptized believers, the apostles are sent forth in a special way for the ministry of preaching the word and sanctifying the world. The missionary mandate continues to be fulfilled by the bishops who are ordained successors of the apostles. So Christ set up a hierarchy in his church. He made Peter the head of his church, and he he appointed the the apostles as his first bishop. But Christ himself is the source of the ministry in the church. It is Jesus himself who's the source of the ministry. He, He instituted the church. He gave her authority and mission, orientation and goal. In order to shepherd the people of God and to increase its members without cease, Christ the Lord set up his church, a variety of offices which aims, set up in his church a variety of offices which aims at the good of the whole body. The holders of the office who are invested with sacred power are in fact dedicated to promoting the interests of their brethren so that all who belong to the people of God may attain to salvation the whole point of the church is is to let God make saints in this world to allow God's grace to flow freely to all mankind so that God can raise up saints to build up his kingdom you see when when Jesus talks about the world in chapter 17 where the world hates them because there, there's always that force because of original sin. There are always, there's always, every one of us has a tendency to, to sin. To, we have a tendency to be an enemy of God. Now by baptism, we were made children of God. The original sin is removed from our soul, but the effects are still there. So we have to constantly fight. We could follow God for years and then betray him in a minute. Remember, Judas, the son of perdition. None of them were lost, but the son of perdition, Jesus says in chapter 17, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He followed Christ for three years. He lived with him. He knew him. But he didn't let the word sink in. So we have to pray that God will overcome this tendency in us, which is worldly tendency is in all of us, that we're going to compromise with the world that we're just here to live for pleasure or for comfort or for entertainment or to have a good time. And, you know, at the end of my life, I'll think about getting ready to go to meet God or whatever. You know, God doesn't really mind. He knows I'm, I'm weak and I'm little. He doesn't care if I commit a few sins here and there and whatever. He doesn't. If we really think that's true, I don't think we've taken a hard and long enough look at the cross. Look at the cross. The greatest proof that there is a hell, because if there were no hell, if there wasn't some horrible punishment from which God is trying to save us, why would he do that? But it's also the greatest manifestation of the love of heaven. Why would anyone go through all of that for someone who hates him? And by the way, (laughs) that's what Jesus did, right? It was his going through all of that that made it possible for us to love him. We were his enemies. While we were yet enemies, while we were dead in our sins, Christ calls us and he died for us. But it demands a response. And that response means we need to give up our sins. We can't just continue to live the world, the worldly life that we've been living. We can't just continue to say, well, you know, God understands. He doesn't mind. It's not a big deal. No, he does mind. He minds a whole lot. He minds enough to have died for us. And I have some, the, the, the paragraph I just read was 874, which it talked about um, the ecclesial ministry, which Christ founded. Because, and, and remember, in the Old Testament, God founded, he, he took the Hebrew people to be his own, the Israelites to be his own. And he was the one who made the priesthood and designated the priests and told them how to build the temple and how to carry out the proper worship in the temple. And whenever Israel carried out the proper worship and was faithful to God, they were blessed. But when they started to get along with the world, be worldly like their neighbors, being like their neighbors, wanting to just, what you know, not stick out, not be different, then they would be overrun by their enemies. We talked about that last week. In the book of Samuel, when they tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battle as a good luck charm, and it didn't work. No, we have to be faithful to God from the depth of our being. Since all the faithful form one body, the good of each one is communicated to the others. We must therefore believe that there exists a communion of goods in the church, But the most important member is Christ. He is the head. Since he is the head, therefore, the riches of Christ are communicated to all the members through the sacraments. As this church is governed by one and the same spirit, all the goods she received necessarily become common, become a common fund that we can all draw on at will. Lord, I want to do your will. I want to receive all the graces that you want to give me. I want to be all that you want me to be. I want to do my part in building up your kingdom. We each have a part to play. God has a mission for every single one of you. Every one of you. To the smallest baby in your family. To the baby who's still developing in the womb, who hasn't even been born yet. God has a mission for that child. Every child that is conceived is conceived Only because God creates an immortal soul for that person. That doesn't mean that God blesses sin. It doesn't mean that God wants children to be conceived outside of a family unit. God made the family unit. Like the church, the family unit is supposed to be a representation of God. It's supposed to be a visible representation of the presence of the most holy trinity in our lives. And when children are conceived outside of that family unit, It causes great harm in their life, but that doesn't mean we take it out on the child and kill the child. We welcome the child because every child that exists cannot exist unless God deliberately creates the immortal soul that brings life to that body. So husbands and wives do not create their children. Mothers don't make their babies. God makes human beings. Every human being, every baby. So every baby has a purpose and a life. Every baby has a mission from God. So pray. We need to live according to God's laws so that children are born into families that love them, that they're raised up so that they can come to know the Lord God. You know, when the family is torn apart, it becomes a terrible, terrible obstacle to people coming to God. Because the first Vision of God that we have as human beings is our family, is our mother and father. So how did our father treat us? Is he acting like God the father? We who are parents, are we acting the way God acts? Are we treating our children with the dignity and respect that is theirs? We have to build up the family in love. That's the basic unit. The way the family goes is the way society and the church goes. And if the church is... The, the pillar and foundation of truth, then the family, which is the basic unit of the church, should be grounded in Christ. And every member should be grounded in Christ. That's why the church offers us the sacrament of confession. You know, priests hear confessions. And some parishes, it's make an appointment anytime. Almost every parish has a scheduled time every single week We need to avail ourselves of the sacraments. Yes, we were received into the church in baptism, but it's not enough to just bring your children to the baptismal fountain and have them baptized. Raise your children in the faith because otherwise there can't be this unity that Christ prayed for. Because this unity, we have to learn it. We have to unlearn our tendency towards sin because we have the effects of original sin. Yes, original sin is removed with baptism, but concupiscence isn't. The effects of original sin are still there. We tend towards sin. So we need God's help to live as his very dear children, to behave like him as his very dear children. In Catechism 790, it says, Believers who respond to God's word and become members of Christ's body become intimately united with him. In that body, the life of Christ is communicated to those who believe and who, through the sacraments, are united in a hidden and real way to Christ in his passion and glorification. This is especially true of baptism, which unites us to Christ's death and resurrection, and the Eucharist, by which, really sharing in the body of the Lord, we are taken up into communion with him and with one another and I hear the music I will be back with more on Bible with the Barbers please tell your friends and family to join us and let everyone you know know that there is a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers If you have a question or comment call 888-526-2151 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle
1: so just before the break here, um, I was reading from para- number number seven ninety in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and, and again, this is especially true of baptism. We're brought into to Christ. We get to um, excuse me. We get we get to share through the sacraments. We are united in a hidden and real way to Christ in His Passion and glorification. This is especially true of baptism, which unites us to Christ's death and resurrection. And the Eucharist, by which we really share in the body of the Lord, we are taken up into communion with him and with one another. When we receive Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, it is really Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine. There is no bread and wine there after the consecration. This is what Jesus founded. And it's interesting that that prayer for unity is at the Last Supper that chapter 17 of John's gospel comes from the last supper and is at the last supper where Christ instituted the most holy eucharist where and that's in the synoptic gospels that and John didn't repeat the institution of the eucharist because he had already had in John 6 where Jesus had said that he would give us his flesh to eat and then that happens at the last supper and so but he has this prayer for unity that none of the other gospels has and it's not because it didn't happen it's because John included in his gospel, those things were so important that had been left out of the other gospels. So, and we have the witness of the fathers of the church to tell us this. So it's not that John, didn't made, that John made things up. No, John's gospel is rooted in history. It is rooted in history. And add that, in that context of the Last Supper, Jesus is praying for unity. So where's that unity gonna come from? And the church points out in the catechism, it comes from the sacraments and our union with Christ through the sacraments. Jesus gave us the sacraments. It's not enough to just say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If that's all I know, and I and I am not capable of knowing anything else, and haven't been taught anything else, that could be sufficient. And God does give to everyone sufficient grace to be saved. But Christ has so much more to offer. He established seven sacraments, where he unites us to himself, and communicates his own life. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit communicate to us their own life in the sacraments. And especially in the Eucharist, the church teaches us that the Eucharist is the sacrament of sacrament. It is the sacrament from which all the other sacraments flow and to which they all point. Why? Because the Eucharist is Christ himself. We receive the life of God in our soul spiritually through baptism. We receive the forgiveness of our sins in confession we receive the holy spirits in in confirmation spiritually we and and in in marriage a man and a woman enter into a union where they're supposed to reflect the relationship between first of all the trinity and also then the relationship between christ and his church in ordination men are ordained to the priesthood so to carry on the sacraments the sacramental life and the the um the truths that Christ left to His Church, the sacred tradition, and um, did I baptism, confirmation, yeah, and then in uh, the anointing of the sick, when people are sick, we receive the grace and strength to offer our sufferings in union with Christ. In union, we're baptized into His death. Those of you who are baptized into Christ are baptized into His death. The Scripture tells us, and but the Eucharist is Christ Himself body, blood, soul, and divinity. Jesus Christ is really present in the blessed sacrament. Don't leave him alone in the tabernacles of your churches. I remember when we were young and the communists were you know, still very much um, have, having control of all of Eastern Europe. And my mother used to tell us, don't think that the churches were, clo- were were full when the communists came to close them in those communist countries. Because in one country, they were not able to close them. That was Poland because the churches were full. And they were never able to close the churches in Poland. But in the churches, where, in the countries where people had stopped going to church and the churches weren't full, and people weren't making visits to the Blessed Sacrament, and they weren't being with Jesus in the Eucharist, it was easy to close the churches, take the priests away. and But where the people stood for their for their priests, which was Poland, they weren't able to do that. And Poland wasn't the only country. I know in... in um, Cardinal Monsenti was uh, from Budapest, which is in Hungary, in Hungary. And um, thank you, Mr. Engineer. And they also hid their priests. They didn't succeed in the same way that Poland did in keeping the faith and keeping the churches opened. And that's for whatever reason in God's mystery. But for the most part, and and you can see it here in the United States now, are our churches full? (laughs) Someone would say you could come in with a cannonball and shoot it and not hit anybody. That's a tragedy because we were made for God and for union with God, and we've forgotten where we came from, and we have no clue where we're going. As someone once said, modern man, the tragedy of modern man is he not only forgot where he's going, but he forgot where he came from. So he can't even get back to the beginning to figure out how to find the right path. We came from God, and we're supposed to be going to God. So in this whole thing here christian unity we need to pray for the unity and the reunion of all christians and we need to pray that all christians will come to the knowledge of the fullness of the truth that christ left to his church the church in this letter to the ephesians paul writes so beautifully about the church and in this letter the four marks of the church are either explicitly or implicitly talked about what are the four marks of the church one holy catholic and apostolic Of all the epistles of Paul, none speaks more eloquently and extensively of the church than Ephesians. This unique letter outlines the essential characters of the church, which the ancient creeds summarize one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. The church is one because she has one source, the blessed Trinity, and is united in her faith, worship, and leadership. The church is holy because Christ has separated her from sin and consecrated her to the Father. The church is Catholic because she embraces all nations universal. The church is apostolic because she was founded upon the apostles. She preserves their apostolic doctrine, and she perpetuates perpetuates a direct line of apostolic succession that stretches back to the first appointed by Christ, to those first appointed by Christ. And Paul tricks either directly or indirectly touches on every one of these points. The church is one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Ephesians four five. The church is holy, that she might be holy and without blemish. Ephesians five twenty seven. The church is catholic. You Gentiles are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the households of God. Ephesians two nineteen. The church is apostolic, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians two twenty. So. Paul also tells us in this letter, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. That's that's the other passage from Ephesians that the church gives us for the mass for the union of all Christians. And that's Ephesians 4, verse 30, through chapter 5, verse 2. So we're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit. And how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, when we have bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and and malice among us. When we don't imitate God as his beloved children. When we don't walk in love as Christ loved us. Remember, God has forgiven us. We aren't supposed to be condemning one another. Look, when we disagree with somebody theologically, let's keep it on that level. I disagree with your theological point, but you as a person have a dignity given to you by God. You were made in God's image as a person to be loved and you deserve to be listened to. Now that doesn't mean that your opinion is necessarily correct or that I agree with it, but I will listen. And then I will try to show you what I know to be the truth. And by the way, we can never be arrogant if we do have the true faith, it's a gift. it's not a given, and we could lose it at any moment. Remember Judas was one of the twelve, and Jesus Christ said that none of them are lost except the Son of Perdition. We could lose it in a moment of temptation. Peter denied Christ rather than going to the cross with him. now eventually Peter would repent and he would it wasn't even just eventually that night the 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 the, the church Tradition says that he wept tears so bitterly. Remember, he went out and wept when he heard the cock crow? That there were furrows in his cheeks from the tears that he wept. He had denied our Lord after he had promised him that he would go to death with him. Well, he would eventually go to death with him. But we were baptized into the death of Christ. And that means Christ saved us from sin. And this is something that we often forget in our world. We think that God's okay with sin. No, he's not. Nothing undefiled can enter into heaven. And by the way, that doesn't just mean sinful. That means nothing that has any attachment to anything of this earth can get into heaven. We need to be purified not only of sin, but all attachment to sin. And we need to make (laughs) reparation to God for our sins. We have offended God by our sins. And we need to make, and the greatest reparation is that we offer Christ in the holy sacrifice of the mass. We're not crucifying Christ again. There's only one eternal sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain, who still bears his scars in heaven. He is the victim who immolated himself and is no longer dying, but still offers his act of immolated love for all eternity. Heaven and earth are united in a single act of worship at the mass. And this is where the union begins in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, where Christ is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, where heaven and earth are truly united in the one perfect act of worship of God. Do we enter into this worship or do we just go to church and think about our phones, our, our Google, our internet, our the p- tests I have to pass at school, the money I need to make, how am I going to support my family, how am I going to pay my bills? Are we present to God when we are there at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? Or are we only present to the things of this world? And by the way, we're supposed to practice the presence of God daily in our lives, moment by moment, day by day. We're supposed to live continually in his presence. Jesus Christ said, pray always. That means to live in the presence of God. So we want to take from this today to pray for the unity of all Christians and to live as God, uh, you know, behave like God as his very dear children and to give up sin And to make a break with sin, go to confession, go to Mass, and receive Holy Communion worthily. Avail yourself of the sacraments, and avail yourself of the sacramental presence of Christ in the Eucharist. In our churches, go make a visit to Jesus. Keep Him company, and meditate on the passion of the Lord. And if you think God's okay with sin, meditate on the passion of the Lord every single day for 15 or 20 minutes and see if we come to realize that God doesn't like sin. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again to all of those who spread the word. Join you again, please God, next week on Bible with the Barbers.